everybody. Welcome to the Peace Building Podcast, where we explore the most interesting ideas about building common ground in complex systems to build more peace on this planet of ours. I had an amazing trip to Shanghai in May, a total peak experience, and wanted to tell you all about it. I was invited to speak at a conference of about a thousand women, I think I've mentioned it before, called the International Elite Women's Summit, the theme of which was more courage, more strength. It's the fourth time this conference has been held. It's really pulling together women, really pretty much from China. Um, It's described by them as, let me see if I can give you their description, as a high-level women's forum of a large-scale, high cohesiveness and great influence so far in China. Um, it, With the courteous reception of the highest standard, it invites distinguished female guests with international influence and the right of speech to discuss the future of women together. It serves as the first platform where key female figures in various industries including well-known female entrepreneurs, female political VIP, emerging career elites, writers, renowned scholars, media professionals, and others come together for idea exchanges. My um, understanding from a Chinese friend of mine who grew up in Shanghai is that during Mao's time, women made a lot of advances and were pretty much equal to men in many regards, but that in the China of today, things have reverted to kind of what they were, I think, for people in the United, women in the United States in like the 1950s. And what I mean by that is like I know for my mom, uh, it would have shamed my dad for her to work outside of the home. And that's kind of, I think, the way it is for a lot of women in China. So um, many, I'm told that many women uh, in China are feeling kind of hopeless stuck and uh, apparently go through quite a few hoops to come together um, at this conference in Shanghai. I think it costs like about $60, which is a large sum for many. I mean, some of them are coming from pretty far away. Anyway, if you have the money, time, passport, and visa, which I know for many people on the planet are huge hurdles, um... And then the willingness to sit for 14 hours on a plane, it's its pretty much straightforward to go from New York to Shanghai. There are daily flights, and um, like I see a lot, and a lot on these long-haul flights um, I take uh, to Africa and to Asia, there seem to be like this steady stream of people who almost appear like they're regular commuters. Um, I remember this one guy in Africa, he was um, living in Gabon, and he basically was going home all the time to New York, where his family was, um, sort of treated it like, you know, like a commuter. Anyway, I was met at the airport by Claire, the 28-year-old, that is what she calls herself in in China as well. It's not just an Americanized name. Um, Anyway, 28-year-old Chinese woman who couldn't have been more fun and a better host. She greeted me with this incredibly beautiful bouquet of flowers, a driver, And they put me up in the Grand Hyatt, which is one of the nicest hotels in Shanghai. After I took a short nap, Claire and her boyfriend, Shambo, took me down to the Yangtze River, where there were lots of boats, uh, glittering lights, foreigners, beautiful temperature, plenty of greenery. It was a very civilized uh, city, not too crowded. It felt very safe, 
extremely modern. Really like Shanghai. I'd like to spend more time there. I didn't have enough time. Um, the next day, we got the show underway, and these folks completely had their major event act together um, with the technology, the hair and the makeup. I felt like I was a movie star. Um, the, the digital world there, in many ways, seems so far ahead of uh, even where it is in New York. Um, I was felt humbled. You know, I was treated like a star, but I was really among true stars. I was the only Western woman in a lineup of women from Japan and from China. One of the women, the one that I certainly knew the most was Marie Kondo, who's the best selling author of The Magical Art of Tidying Up, which so influenced me. And I think many people, you know, I, I from reading her book, I remember going around my house and picking up every object in my house to uh, determine whether it inspired joy in me. And if it didn't, I got rid of it. So um, anyway, but there were um, there were top, uh, a, I think a top Chinese actor, top Chinese journalist, all women, a top Chinese anchor woman. Um, so it was really an honor to be among them. The topic of my speech was Igniting Women, the Pathway to Planetary Peace. And uh, you can listen to it here. It went super well. I had 30 minutes total, but with direct translation, that really meant uh, 15. Um, I've, I've become increasingly interested in transparency when I talk to audiences, and I was super transparent here using my own personal and professional story, both the highs and the lows, um, the, the successes and the ruptures, to talk about why I'm so passionate about the need for women to wake up and step into our power together. Don't have much time on this planet, if you ask me, and the time is really now. Uh, mostly, the audience was younger, and I don't. I think people generally did not speak, spoke very little English, uh, so I don't know how many understood my orig the original words I was speaking. I was dependent on the translator who was really an excellent translator, but I'm not sure he did. I was told later by some of the women they weren't very happy with some of the ways he translated some of the ideas. But whatever. Um, note to self, be really careful about uh, uh, how the translator is translating concepts. I went with it. I went through it ahead of time with him, but I'm not sure uh, whether um, it's too revolutionary for him maybe or what. But anyway... Um, so the women were from all over China, and um, one of my favorite memories was at the end of the conference, basically a sea of women, young women coming up to me and wanting to take a selfie with me and telling me, I love you, and I think that was maybe the only English that they spoke. I'm not sure they really love me, but anyway, it was really wonderful, wonderful energy. I was uh, really amazed by the founder of this conference. Um, her, uh, the name of the organization is Action Pi, at least the English version of uh, the name of the organization, who sponsored this. And uh, her name is Chichi Lu, Lu, and she's a small woman. She's just quiet. She seems amazingly impactful. I don't know. I didn't see any evidence of a husband, a family. Not clear how she's raising the money, but... They have over a million members in Action Pie all over China, and um, it just seems like it's growing. And I, you know, facilitated by the internet for sure. I, I was so amazed by WeChat and the use of that app, uh, which we don't have here in the United States. I, I can't believe it's not coming. But traveling around with Claire, she literally did 
everything with WeChat. She paid for the cab. She paid, um, you know, when we were in this little like market, uh, she paid, uh, she connected with people she wanted to connect to. Uh, apparently everything is done on WeChat and, um, and Weibo, uh, which is the Facebook of China. Although, um, I don't think that's as popular as WeChat, at least as far as I could tell. Because uh, obviously Facebook is not um, not allowed in China. So anyway, that was super interesting. So enjoy my talk. I really want to hear your thoughts, your reactions. Post them on Facebook or send me an email, and um, I'll catch you at the end. in 
New York City, perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, this is my, my father's career. I copied him because I didn't really know any better. I came from an, an affluent family, and all of my female ancestors had never worked outside of the home. The job was pretty brutal. The hours were very long, and there were a lot of men sitting around smoking very smelly cigars. And the job wasn't really aligned with my purpose even then, which was really uh, to build a more peaceful world and to serve women. I remember seeing the first Apple computer and a light bulb going off in my head. This is how I'm going to solve the problem of being a mom and wanting a career. I could see it was going to be impossible balancing those two things in my Wall Street job. Though I wasn't aware of it at the time, I was combining my two role models in my head. My mom, who had been a uh, stay-at-home mom and uh, about a, a lot of volunteer work, and my father, a Wall Street finance lawyer person. My solution was to start my own business in intercultural negotiation and mediation. I had gotten this idea at the Kennedy School of Government, the same place she went, and also Harvard Law School and the program on negotiations. I was at a ground zero of a kind of revolution uh, that was prompted by the book Getting to Yes, Negotiating Agreement Without Giving In. The central idea of this book is pretty simple. Two little girls are fighting over one orange. Mommy, daddy, give me the orange. Mommy, daddy, give me the orange. What's the solution? Generally, people say, cut it in half. Or, if you are really tired parents, you take the orange away and you tell the kids to stop fighting. <laughs> but the getting to yes solution is to ask, what do they want the orange for? And you learn that one girl wants the meat of the orange, and the other girl wants the skin, and you can give both of them 100% of what they want. The little girl that wants the skin wants to make jam. The reality is a lot of conflict, whether it's in the home or whether it's in the world, does not resolve this way. Even, even if it could. Lots of times it resolves by what I call the power struggle. If you don't give me that orange, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. Or sometimes it's resolved by a rule or a right, like uh, I saw it first, or I'm the oldest, so I get the orange. 
guess, spawned a much more collaborative way of looking at negotiation, a more win-win idea about how to look at negotiation and conflict. Interestingly, the idea, the central idea from getting to yes came from a woman in the 1920s whose name was Mary Baker Follett, uh, who was a really brilliant woman, but she was not credited with the idea, and she now is largely forgotten. So anyway, I had an amazing run of it for years. I set up the United Nations program in negotiation and mediation, and I delivered it around the world to all their different duty stations. I set up a similar program at Columbia University, a big university in New York, uh, and taught many people from around the world, many people from Asia and China. I launched many people into the field, and I became very well known. What I was teaching people was essentially um, the two main strategies in negotiation, competition and collaboration. The implications of this choice are very big for women. If the main strategy out there is force, competition, uh, uh, power, might makes right, we women are likely to lose. If it's collaboration, we are on a much more even playing field. I read two books at the time that got me really thinking about this. The first was The Chalice and the Blade by Rianne Eisler. She devised human history, uh, or history, uh, into models of domination and models of partnership. And what's really interesting is that models, she makes a strong case that models of domination are relatively new for the human race. And they have brought with them the ranking of one half of the human race over the other, men over women, and the patriarchal models that have now, that are now present in pretty much most of the countries on Earth, not all the most. The second is written by Bill Urey, who also wrote Getting to Peace, supports the same idea that we humans have been around for 2,500,000 years and in that period of time, oops, you can't even see it right here, that little line, this tiny little line, is the only part of our history where we have used coercion and competition. So 99% of our history has been peaceful coexistence. And interestingly, during that time, the goddess and the divine feminine reigned in many, many parts of the planet. On a personal front, um, I was very happily married. That's me and my two kids and my husband. 
beautiful home. I was aligned with my purpose. I felt empowered. And, uh, and I, uh, my husband, at the time, really valued my competence, my confidence, and my voice. Then what happened was a big train wreck or a rupture, which happens to many of us in life in different ways. Both my marriage and my work, in most ways, fell apart. I didn't like this much at the time, but I now see how sometimes the difficult things that happen in life really um, help our power and our evolution as human beings by going into the darker and more difficult places. My husband had shifted from being my partner to being a dominator, uh, very threatening, very angry, very violent, and I had let it happen. I had relinquished my power. The seeds of this were planted in my childhood. Uh, this is my family of origin, and perhaps my mother's childhood, and perhaps my grandmother's childhood, and maybe even my great-grandmother's childhood. It's almost like I had a blueprint in my brain to make this happen. I came from, as I said, a very privileged family, but it was a very patriarchal family as well. My brother, who's in the middle, was five years older than me. This is, my, this is me and my mother and my father and my brother and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and then my two sisters. Senior women in the government, 
and I shared some of this story in an exercise we were doing, and they were shocked that this kind of thing happened in the United States. They thought it only happened in countries like Afghanistan, where it's very hard for women. Two weeks ago in New York City, I was at a very large women's a leadership development program that I was part of, and a woman from China was she was she was visiting and she was crying how much she had never wanted to be born a woman. Uh, women around the planet are living in a state of shame. Uh, ruptures are really good teachers. There's um, a lot of sayings about this. We use one of them in conflict resolution training, this idea for crisis. I, I hope I have the characters right. They combine both danger and opportunity. Or there are other great metaphors, like diamonds get formed under great pressure. The lotus flower blooms from the muck. Or uh, this saying from the poet Rumi that I particularly love, um, which is, "How will you ever be? If how be polished if every rub distracts you?" The rupture or train wreck helped me regain my power, uh, reconnect to my voice and my purpose. In my dimmed down state. I had turned to men, I had turned to male colleagues and boyfriends, um, but I learned uh, that our guys are well-intentioned. Uh, I need to turn to other women for healing, sisterhood, and transformation. I had the great luck of walking into a school called Mamachita's School of Womanly Arts, uh, where the sense of sisterhood was awe-inspiring. I like this quote from Regina Tomshower, who was the founder of Regina's, uh, women are the greatest untapped natural resource on the planet. I, I jokingly call the school goddess training camp, but that's essentially what it's been. It's been a, a way to remember the source of creation I am, in spite of the toxicity of the patriarchal suit that all of us, men and women, have been swimming in. With uh, renewed confidence, I started a podcast, the Peace Building Podcast, Bridging the Divide. Finding, finding voice is really critical for women. Uh, we, all, we all need to tell our stories. And because each time each of us does it, it frees up other people to tell their stories and to connect to what it means to them. The internet is so amazing, and with the podcast, I interview people all over the world, right from my home office. I interview mediators, coaches, consultants, uh, former ambassadors, diplomats, about all the best and creative ways they are intervening to build peace on the planet. I was inspired to do this because I get tired of how much the media 
in my country focuses on destructive conflict and perpetuates the system of war by doing that. I knew all the great work that is going on out there, and I really wanted to shine some sunlight on it. My, my mottos are, the best way to predict the future is to create it, or don't fight against the existing reality, create a new reality and make the existing one obsolete. I now have 35 countries downloading, and, um, uh, and um, a lot of episodes, and please check it out and subscribe at thepeacebuildingpodcast.com if you can or if you'd like to. Um, from doing this work, it became crystal clear to me that the most effective, efficient, and fun way to build peace on this planet is to empower women. People generally think that war is inevitable. Um, we think that we have been fighting forever, which is not true. And we think that we will be having conflict, have war forever, but that's also not true. Many experts will tell you that ending war is completely within our grasp and as a species. And um, that is completely preventable if we wanted to do that. War used to be much more glorious than it is now. Um, I don't think people have that illusion anymore. Um, and generally now on the planet, conflict can spread at lightning speed. What's interesting to note is that actually historically, the incidence of war and violent conflict are going down if you look at the long-term trends, which is exciting. Um, and the point here is not to end conflict, because you don't want to do that. Conflict is useful, it's natural, it builds relationships, it's handled well, it's creative, but ideally, you stop, you know, what you're trying to do is make the world uh, safer for conflict, by ending war, make the world safer for conflict. Anyway, I think ending war could happen at lightning speed if women really step into our leadership. Uh, no more letting fear us, no more codependency, much more supporting each other to rise. Most uh, of us women don't like war. We didn't like it as little girls, and we don't like it as adults. Interestingly, in the Western world, there used to be this practice of dueling. I don't know if it happened in, in China. But if some guy wronged another, they would, uh, they would challenge them to a duel, they would fight, and something would get killed. Anyway, this practice came to an end, apparently, when women started laughing at it. We have a lot of power if we know how to use it. This woman is very inspirational. Her name is Leila Gowie and she won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011 uh, because she organized in 2003 women across religions and tribes to end a very violent civil war in Liberia. The story is really interesting. When she, she, all the women wore white, and by wearing white, they basically were indicating to the men that they were going on a sex strike until there was peace in Liberia. 
they kept their, there's more to that story, and there's a movie called Pray the Devil Back to Hell, which is very interesting. But um, uh, she, um, they, they kept her message really simple, which is just, we want peace now. Women are more collaborative than men, and perhaps, uh, and, and we are more relational. Um, perhaps we just know that uh, competition, if competition is the dominant strategy, we're going we're to lose. <laughs> but let's be clear, men are not bigger and stronger than us in order to dominate us. Nature is all about creation and reproduction. Men are bigger and stronger than us so that they can support us and protect us as we create life. This was, this was drawn by my son when he was 10. <laughs> but there is a close relationship between what happens in the family and what happens on the global stage. If women are second-class citizens in the family, children learn a one-up and one-down way of relating, and they often witness violence and abuse. Studies indicate that uh, Societies in which homes are more uh, male authoritarian, male dominant, and punitive also value military spending and weapons. In contrast, studies also show that societies in which men and women are more partners tend to be more peace loving uh, as societies as a whole. And both men and women tend to be uh, better off economically and emotionally. Many people everywhere seem to say that women are on, on the rise, that the 21st century is the century of women. Um, I, I, for one, can feel that. In my global travels, everywhere, women of all different kinds are saying to me, it's time. Money is a really good metric uh, for our global values and something we women really need to get smart about. Humans currently spend 1.7 trillion on military spending, um, and that's probably a very low estimate uh, given the amount of collateral damage, psychological trauma, and other things that are created by war and destructive conflict. As you can see, my country is by far the biggest spender. In the century um, coming, it seems that in my country, women are going to control more of the money than uh, men do. Um, I don't know if it's true in other countries, but it's definitely true in the United States. I think this bodes well for a planetary shift. Um, because the experts on women and wealth tell us that while uh, once we women know that we have bread on the table, we can feed our families, we tend to not be as motivated by money per se, we tend to be more motivated by helping others. There's a lot to do to bring the goddess back to her rightful place. First, each woman, each of us, has to fully embrace our own value and self-worth. And all of us in sisterhood need to support each other 
with more courage and more strength. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a really wonderful Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, please stay tuned for the next episode, uh, which uh, in which I'll be interviewing Charles Crawford, a totally delightful, funny, articulate former British ambassador um, to Poland and uh, to Bosnia at the end of the Civil War there. He's going to talk mostly about that experience, the Bosnia experience, what it took to build common ground or not. Um, from the perspective of the diplomatic community, all the different ambassadorial uh, ambassador folks working together. Um, so please stay tuned for that. Please like us on Facebook at the Peace Building po- uh, Podcast. And uh, stay tuned. Really, really appreciate your attention and uh, support for this podcast.